0: Let's pray together. Lord, we are so thankful for your word and for your spirit, the one who gives us understanding as we come to your scriptures. We pray for soft hearts, for keen minds, and for growing love for Christ. Amen. Well, it's something you're really looking forward to. So something this week, something next year. For some of you, you may be looking forward to one week from right now. Uh, where you get up and open presents, and share good food. Uh, Maybe mom and dad will get you that video game or those socks you've been asking for. Uh, Maybe what you're looking forward to is actually something more significant, much deeper. Uh, Marriage, a spouse, raising kids, growing a business. Maybe you've come through a period of intense struggle, and so what you're looking forward to is health or success or peace. Maybe you like to keep things simple, and actually what you're looking forward to is for us to be done here. And so you can get home, and we can watch football and take a nap. Our passage for this morning from the second chapter of Luke introduces us to a man who's looking forward to something. Um, who has spent his life waiting for something. And we see here in our story that his wait comes to an end. So let's read Luke 2, 21 to 35. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice, according to what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for peak glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them, and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." All right, well, the past two weeks we've been in Luke 2 and we've seen Jesus' birth, we've seen his birth announced, and now the story picks up with Mary and Joseph and Jesus, the newborn, going to the temple in Jerusalem to keep the requirements of the law of Moses. So back in the Old Testament, God gave laws through his servant Moses, the leader of Israel, laws that told Israel how to live as God's people. These laws set them apart, uh, showed them how they could worship a holy God and be acceptable to him, uh, the law of Moses was ultimately the very law of God. You see that in verse 23. And it showed God's people their weakness, their sin, and yet gave them an opportunity to draw near to God through sacrifice. You can read uh, more about the law, especially these laws here that were mentioned uh, in Leviticus chapter 12 and Exodus chapter 13. But suffice it to say for here, Mary and Joseph are serious about the law. And so Jesus, uh, you can look at this in Galatians 4, the Son of God was born under the law. He was born into a law-abiding home. He came humbled in every way. And so Joseph and Mary come. Mary especially would have been ceremonially unclean by the law because she had just gone through childbirth. Forty days needed to elapse. Then she would make a sacrifice to purify herself. And they offered two birds, which shows that they were poor. Couldn't sacrifice a lamb. They couldn't afford it. And then in verse 25 comes this man that we just talked about. Simeon. So we learn three things about Simeon right off the bat in verse 25. First, he's righteous and devout. So that means, again, he's a serious Jew. He observes the law. He's just in his dealings with those around him. Uh, second, we see that he's a man in waiting. So he's one looking forward to something. And in verse 25, we see that that something is the consolation of Israel. All throughout this passage, Luke uses imagery and words that harken back to the prophet Isaiah, the words of which Abby read. Uh, in part, for us earlier. And this idea of consolation and comfort is something we see multiple times in Isaiah. So Isaiah 40, if you know Handel's Messiah, you'll recognize these words. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. So Isaiah was a prophet who foresaw a day when the Messiah would come. The Messiah was the one promised by God to bring deliverance and redemption to his people. Uh, It wasn't a name, it was a title. Uh, And the Greek title, uh, the translation is Christ. And so in verse 26, we see that Simeon knew that one was coming who was the Lord's Christ, the deliverer, the Messiah. So he was filled with great hope that that would come. The third thing we see about Simeon is that he was filled with the Spirit. So you can't miss that. Verse 25, verse 26, verse 27, living in the Spirit. So not only was this an occasional blessing for, for Simeon, he, uh, the words there kind of imply that the Spirit was continually on him. And as a result, he knew that he would not see death until the Messiah came. So here's Simeon looking for Christ. What would he look like? How would he arrive? What would, he, what would be God's plan for this great king? Oh, well, there in verse 27, the Holy Spirit leads Simeon to the Lord's Christ, and it's a little baby held in his mother's arms. I think we would do well to be reminded here of the important work of God's spirit. So to this day, this is one of the ways the Holy Spirit works. This is one of his chief job descriptions, this third person of the Trinity. The spirit opens eyes of sinners to behold the Christ. Without that merciful work, sinners are lost. Uh, We have this truth written into our core beliefs, into our statement of faith back from the 1850s. Article 7 says, we believe that in order to be saved, sinners must be regenerated or born again. And then listen, this regeneration, this being born again, is effected or carried out in a manner beyond our comprehension by the power of the Holy Spirit. So This is a good opportunity for us to remember yet again the amazing mercy of God towards us who believe. So Christian, you did not seek out Christ. So whether you grew up in the church, you don't remember a time you weren't a Christian, Or you became a Christian later in life and you lived the life of sin and rebellion. Whatever your story, you're like Simeon. You came to Christ because Christ pursued you. Simeon was led into the temple by the Spirit. And likewise, those of us who are saved have only been led to Christ because the Spirit has opened our eyes and we've come to the cross. What great, merciful God we have. What a king to pursue his enemies pursue those who would eventually take his life so that he might know them and have their hearts turned to him. So, Christian, do you love God this morning? Uh, are you seeking to know Jesus more? That's all of grace. That's not of you. So rejoice. Rest in that. Rest in the, the new birth that the Lord is giving you. For those of us who are Christians here this morning and are feeling pretty um, content with ourselves, we're pretty self-satisfied, self-pleased, You know, we got gifts, we got knowledge. I think this truth should humble us this morning. We were weak. We opposed God, but despite that, he saved us. Despite us, he saved us. We should be humbled. And for those of us who are feeling discouraged this morning and self-loathing, for those of us who feel worthless and unable to recognize good in our life, this truth should lift us up this morning. This truth should exalt us We should let the mercy of God just kind of wash over us afresh. We were miserable sinners destined for hell, and God set his love on us. We could not do it ourselves, but now we're children of God. That's better news than any positive thinking book or inspirational speaker can give us. And it's the work of God. He set his love on us. So Simeon was led by God's spirit to God's son. And what does he do? When his long wait is over, how will he react well, verse 28, he takes up Jesus in his arms and breaks out into a joyful song of praise. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. I think there's there's room here for sanctified imagination. Just think of this old man, if he was old, we don't know if he was old, but he was waiting for a while, so he might've been. He's lifting up this baby. He's saying, Lord, I see your salvation. I can die now. You've accomplished your word. Bring me home. I was struck this week by how Simeon approaches death here. You're letting your servant depart in peace, he says. I mean, Simeon was ready to die at this point. He'd seen Jesus. He'd seen God's word come to pass. He'd seen God made good on his promise. and That's all he needed. He's ready. I think in our culture, in our world, in our in our community here in Western Loudon, death is something we hate thinking about. I mean, I'm sure that's true for everybody. It's n- there's a few interesting people that love thinking about death. Um, but especially here when our lives are so well put together, people make some good income. Uh, we can usually do the things that we want to do, you know, as a whole. Death is just something we don't want to think about. And yet when, when it hits us in the face, when a loved one dies, when we do need to address it, when it does come to us, Uh, We just kind of explain it away. We try to ignore it. We try to fight it. Uh, It seems to be such a peaceless thing, right? So we say RIP to those who have died. It's kind of late for them, right? I think mostly we need (laughs) RIP when we think about death, don't we? We linger in doubt and fear. It's peaceless. Those of you who follow sports might have seen this past week that a longtime sports journalist, one of guys I really enjoyed watching the most um, in the sports community died of complications from a disease. He was 65. Uh, and the sports world mourned him. Uh, ESPN had these great videos of his career. So he was on the field with Hank Aaron when he hit his 715th home run. And then he was on the court a couple years ago with LeBron James in the NBA finals. And, and as I read about the stories about him and read what sports celebrities are tweeting about him, you know, there were good things. You know, RIP, my, my good friend. It was great. Good ride. And then one person just kind of said, you know, good job. You never let this disease defeat you. And in the end, you did win. And as I was reading, I was like, no, he didn't. Like, he died. So, yes, in a sense, that was good. Like, actually, a lot of the things he said leading up to his death were wonderful. They were, they were inspiring. He was a strong guy. But now he's dead, so I don't think he won. I think death won. I don't, I don't think uh, that he, even though he struggled well, I don't think that he's kind of brave and courageous right now in the face of death, because it's kind of, the battle's over. Death is horrible. No, death is not God's intention for the world. It's a mark of sin and rebellion. And so as I read Simeon's words here, Lord, now you're just letting your servant depart in peace. I just kind of ask the question, how can Simeon be content with death? How could he be ready for it? I know we're in church and we're, we're a lot of us are Christians. And so we used to like people on the airplane saying, Hey, are you ready to die? I'm not necessarily saying that here, but I'm saying like death is, if Seth is really hard, you know, why is Simeon so content? Death is hard for me to think of, and I, I'm a Christian. And maybe you're here this morning, and you wonder the same thing. So what's more powerful than that kind of fear of death? What, what has more authority than when your life kind of ends, and you can't say anything about it? Verse 30. Simeon's ready to die, because his eyes have seen salvation. Simeon did not know the extent of God's plan, but he knew it in part. And ultimately, Simeon only had peace and death because he was holding in his arms the one who was going to have victory over death. Simeon sees Jesus with his own eyes and he rejoices. God's word has come to pass, the Messiah has arrived. I was reminded thinking about this text this past week of the words of a preacher at a church I attended years ago. And he preached a story, and, and his point for us to consider was look at what God's salvation is. It's not a 10 step plan, it's not a political party. It's not a denomination or a religious program. It's not a list of naughty or nice. It's not a system of superstition. God's salvation is a person. It's God's son. It's Jesus. Simeon doesn't look at an agenda and says, God's salvation. He looks at a baby. He says, I see it. One writer says this, the Christian life is not primarily a code of conduct or a philosophy of life. It is a relationship with a living person. I thought of young people, sorry to pick on you, but I thought of you guys as I was, I was looking at this. I, you came to my mind particularly. I, I wonder for those of you who have kind of been raised knowing the gospel, your parents talk about church, you go to church all the time. What does it mean for you that you're a Christian right now? And does it mean that your parents are Christians? And you just kind of tail along with what they believe. Does it, does it mean you do certain things and you don't do other things? Uh, does it just affect the way you select your friends? Or just, does it mean you go to church on Sunday? You know hymns uh, and not just Miley Cyrus, you know? Well, each of those things are important. So our, our faith in Christ must affect the way we treat our parents. It must affect the way we pick our friends, in part. Uh, It must affect the way we spend our Sunday mornings. That's not, that's not like the basis of our salvation. That's not the, the kind of the foundation of salvation. Salvation has a face. It's not merely a set of beliefs. It's a person. And so teens, younger people, whoever, you know, whatever people call you, Uh, If you're a Christian, ultimately, it'll be because you know Jesus, if you love him. Your faith must be about a person. It must be about this person. And so as you grow and you anticipate leaving your parents' home, I'd encourage you to be honest with yourself. Don't wear the name Christian because it makes people happy with you or gets you into circles you feel comfortable in. Wear the name Christian because it's who you are, because it reveals that you love Jesus because it means you love what he did and you love who he's making you to be. Christianity is about Christ. Don't be content to merely live by a set of rules. That gets boring and just gets frustrating and and infuriating. Seek out a person. Jesus is God's salvation. And if you're here, young or old, you've uh, come and joined us this morning and you're not a Christian, so you don't know Jesus, the person, in the way that I've just been describing, in the way that Simeon talks about it here, if the idea of death that we talked about briefly, briefly scared you, and now you're thinking about other things to cover that up, I I invite you to come to Jesus. He has power over death. He has power over sin. He has power to heal your broken relationship with God. The, The story of this passage and the story of Christmas and the story of the entire Bible is that we're sinners. We've turned away from God. That's why there's so much evil and hate in the world. That's why we see so much hardship and sorrow in the news. The world is broken because of sin. And yet the Bible tells us that God doesn't leave the world in that state. He sent his son to come and take on life, life of a human man, suffer and die sinless. Why? Well, because we deserve to suffer and die for our sin, to be judged by a holy God for our rebellion against him. But when Jesus came, he took our sin on himself and endured God's judgment in our place. And so now all that is left for us to do is to respond to a wonderful invitation and to turn to God in faith, to place our trust in Christ and in the work he did for us on the cross, to give up living for ourselves and repent of our sin and rejoice in the salvation that Jesus brings. Turn to Christ, friend. So Simeon rejoices. He says there in verse 31 that God has prepared the salvation for all peoples, and that's a light for the Gentiles and glory for Israel, verse 32. And in saying those two kind of things, uh, Simeon's kind of really unveiling the entire tapestry of God's plan over the course of history. Select the people for himself, and then expand his salvation to all peoples, Jew and Gentile, man and woman, rich and poor. Jesus came as the glory of God's people and the one bringing great news to those outside his people. God's salvation is for everyone who will come. And kind of thinking back to last week when we looked at marveling and pondering, right? What the shepherds are doing, what Mary was doing. We see that again in verse 33. So how do Mary and Joseph respond? They marvel. Simeon's words must have given them even more info on who this kid was that they were raising. He would be God's salvation, I mean, imagine surreal. <laughs> I mean, what was that they have been thinking? What was it that God had, been, uh, had called them to be a part of? And then Simeon turns in 34, and he talks specifically to Mary. And he says, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. It's kind of a downer of a way to end this passage. I mean, here's one of the most joyful stories in all scripture. Old man holding up young baby and singing. I mean, that's just a great hallmark kind of feel, right? And yet we see a glimpse of darkness. One commentator puts it like this. For the first time, amid all of the joy in the beginning of Luke's gospel, we see the cross looming in the distance. This child would indeed redeem Israel, but it would be through pain and cost. And just like we thought about last week, it's Mary who kind of receives these words. She ponders them deeply. The life and future of her son would be one of great opposition, great turmoil, great suffering. Jesus, says Simeon, was appointed or will be appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And as Luke's gospel continues, we see Israel indeed react in different ways to him. Some rejoice in his words, they're eager to place their trust in him and follow him. Others reject him and hate him and scoff at what he says. Jesus, says Simeon, would be a sign that would be opposed, literally, would be spoken against, so that the thoughts of men would be revealed. And indeed, as Luke's gospel goes on, we see Jesus opposed vehemently and violently. And his enemies are surprising, aren't they? They're not really the Romans, you know, trying to squash a rebellious zealot. They are, but not, not the bulk of Luke. They're not the sinners, the outcasts, the scandalously uh, unclean according to the law. Jesus pursues them. They love him. No, those who would most ardently oppose and reject the Messiah are the very ones who are teaching that he's going to come. They're the religious elite. They would be the leaders of the temple, the ones who claim to know God, who would reject the son. And sadly, says Simeon, a sword would also pierce Mary's heart. She would watch her people reject her son, she would watch them betray him, drag him before the authorities. She would watch him be tried in a conspiracy and suffer beating and mocking. And then she would watch him die. That's, that's our theme for the, the service this morning. That's kind of the theme of what we've been seeing in Luke 2. Jesus is born to die for our salvation. And even today, the news of Jesus is life to some and death to others. Some reject him, some love him. Paul says in Second Corinthians that the gospel has a smell. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death and to the other a fragrance from life to life. As we speak of Christ, We too, like Christ, will be rejected. That should comfort us that he did that first. We're reminded here also that there are only two kinds of people. At Christmas time, there are only two kinds of people. Uh, There isn't a middle ground where people are kind of interested and will go to church and, and like the baby in the manger. There are those who respond to Jesus in trust and joy and those who respond to him with pride and rejection, which are you. For those of us who trust Christ this morning, every time we gather as a church, we proclaim the message of Simeon, don't we? So every Sunday morning as we gather to sing, to pray, to read God's word, to hear it proclaimed, we lift Jesus up like Simeon lifted up the baby. And we say, Look to each other, to those gathered with us from outside our body. And we say, Look. Our eyes see God's salvation. It's Jesus. And we lift up the Savior as we then disperse and go to our jobs and our neighborhoods and our families. We continue to lift him up. We have seen God's salvation. We started off our time together with an introduction. What are you looking forward to, right? It might be big. It might be small. It might be a big deal. It might be okay. Great. Good for you. But as, as we close, I, there's still another thing that's really important that we do every Sunday that imitates Simeon. We look forward to something, don't we? You know, Christmas time often finds us looking back, back to a manger, back to shepherds, back to magi, angels singing in the sky. And that's good. We need to do that. But Christmas time is just as much a time to look forward. When we say Advent, we mean the Lord's coming. And guess what? He's coming again. He has come. He's come once. He's come to die and to rise again. And he's coming again. And he's bringing salvation for those who trust in him. And he's bringing judgment for those who rejected him. Peter, when he thinks about Christ's return, he kind of asks, asks the question in one of his epistles. So what kind of lives ought we to live in light of that? Joyful lives, sober lives. Jesus is coming back. Our king is returning. And, you know, we could talk about the application for what it means to look forward to Jesus' return. That's a good thing to talk about. Uh, As we close this morning, as we transition, um, one thing Jesus has given us in this meantime to rejoice in the gospel, uh, to motivate us to share it with others, and to anticipate his return is this is the Lord's Supper. This is a meal. And this meal looks back and it looks forward. It looks back as we, as we look at the elements. We're reminded that Jesus suffered and died. But we also announce, like the angels announced to the shepherds, we announce the Lord's coming. Jesus is coming again. And he's promised us a feast with him in his kingdom. So we're gonna sing another song and then we're gonna turn to the Lord's table, and as we do so, uh, let's think about uh, what these signify about what's come in Jesus's first advent, and let's think about what it means as kind of a, an appetizer for what's coming. Let's pray, and then we'll go to the Lord's table. Our God, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the story of Simeon, Uh, Thank you that, like Simeon, we this morning lift you up and we say our eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord and it's a person, it's Jesus. Lord, we pray that as we respond to this text, as we ponder, like Mary and Joseph, the words of Simeon uh, these few days leading up to Christmas Day, Lord, help us to love our Savior more and more and to look forward more and more to when you're going to come back in all your glory, all your splendor, and all your power. Lord, come quickly. In Jesus' name, amen.